Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Tin Boom, Promise of God, by Mike Evans, with permission of Time Worthy Books, and we are on Chapter 21. Gradually, the foster children grew up and moved on with their lives. Esther and Daniel, our first, went to live with their uncle in Amsterdam. Edmund Hink attended the university in Leiden and became a lawyer. He returned to Harlem and opened an office near Grout Mart, just up the street from the Bayer. Jans Lindart attended normal school and became a teacher at the same school where Nolan Flip worked. We had assumed we would always have extra children in the house and had become accustomed to the sound of their presence. As the Bayer emptied and no new children arrived to take their place, Corey and I wondered what we would do to fill the void. But we needn't have been concerned. By the time the children were all gone, Noli had two sons, Peter and Robert. William had a son, Kink, and a daughter we call Kaki. As the Bayer emptied of foster children, our nieces and nephews refilled it, stopping by for a visit almost every day and often staying over for the weekend. Peter enjoyed music, came by each afternoon to practice on the piano upstairs under Corey's watchful eye. She was the first to notice his musical talent and was determined to help him make the most of it. With the house to keep by myself, I had plenty to keep me busy. But in spite of that, Papa and I still went for a walk through the neighborhood each day after mid-morning. It did us both good to get away for a few minutes. On one of those walks, I glanced through the window of, of Renschlafen's butcher shop and saw a group of men gathered around a shiny new radio that sat on the end of the counter. I tugged on Papa's arm to bring him to a stop and pointed. Look, Ren has a new radio. When radios first became popular, many of the Papa's generation thought they were dangerous. Renschlaten was one of them and adamantly declared he would never own one. Don't want all those electrical waves coming into my shop, he once said. Then commercial broadcasting expanded, stations sprang up everywhere. Radio became not only popular, but a vital source of information and an enjoyable form of entertainment. References to news items and shows from the broadcast quickly found their way into everyday conversation. Ownership of a radio also became a status symbol, an indication of one's level of sophistication and a measure of success. Schlauten was not a vain man, but he knew the value of keeping up with the times as well as any good businessman. If his customers were interested in it, perhaps he should be too. Without telling anyone, he purchased a radio and kept it at his house so he could listen in private keep up with the latest news, and not have to endure the ribbing he had just got over his prior assurances that he had never owned one. But listening exposed him to a number of shows broadcast from London, and he became a fan of the BBC. At last, unwilling to miss even a single broadcast, he brought the radio to his shop so he could listen while he worked. As expected, no one let the moment pass without reminding him of what he had said before. The radio we saw that day was a new one, so I went inside the shop to see what they were listening to. We stood with the others for a while and listening to the news. Actually, Papa listened. I checked the prices of meat and thought about what to prepare for supper. When we left to resume our walk, Papa said, we should have one of those radios in the shop. I was skeptical of whether we actually needed a radio. But Corey agreed with Papa, and at their insistence, we started saving money to buy one. A few months later, Corey rode the trolley to the department store across town and made the purchase. She brought the radio to the shop and Papa set it in the corner near his desk, where he plugged the power cord into the wall outlet. 
When he switched it on, we all heard the sound of an announcer's voice broadcasting from a station in Vienna. Papa scooted his chair up close and for the next hour turned the dial first one way and then the other, listening to find stations as far away as possible. This went on for several days with Papa's attention alternating between the work on his desk and the dials on the radio. Then one morning after breakfast, I glanced in the parlor and saw the radio sitting on a table near the piano. As I stood there a moment, I wondered how it came to be in that location. Papa came behind me and placed his hand on my shoulder. It was in the way he explained. I needed the elbow room, and it was too much of a temptation. Kept me away from my work. He moved to the staircase and glanced back at me with a smile. Besides, we can all enjoy it up here. And that's what we did. Several times each week we gathered around the radio and listened to a concert from some distant city, often with Peter sitting on the floor, listening with rapt attention. And each evening after supper we listened to the news broadcast in English from the BBC. Papa said they were the most honest and accurate. From those nightly reports, we learned that the changes were coming in Germany as Hitler and the Nazi Party solidified their hold on political power. His speeches regularly outlined Germans' problems with unemployment and a weakened economy and laid responsibility for it at the feet of the vast Jewish conspiracy. Usually delivered in a belligerent rant, Hitler went on to blame the Jews for Germany's defeat in the Great War. We listened to him as he shouted and raved like a madman, but Corey and I found him difficult to take seriously and dismissed him as crazy. Papa was deeply troubled. I'm worried about the Germans, he said one night after a particularly offensive address. Corey glanced at me with an amused look and then over at Papa. You're concerned about the Germans? Yes, he nodded. Hitler is a charismatic leader and a brilliant orator. The German people could easily be swayed by the charm of his personality and the emotion of the moment. They can hear him as well as we can, Corey counted. Surely they can tell he's crazy. Except that they did vote him, I cautioned. They should be careful what they listen to and what they think, Papa continued, lest evil overtake them and they actually do those things he's talking about. The Jews are still God's chosen people. He has not forgotten them, nor has he forgotten his promise. Those who bless them receive a blessing. Those who curse them receive a curse. Corey and I thought of Hitler as a German problem, perhaps not in the same way as Papa did, but we never considered him a threat to the Netherlands. We listened to Hitler's speeches at night and heard the news reports, but pushed aside the suggestion that Germany was preparing for war. Papa thought otherwise. He was certain the Germans would drag us all into a new round of conflict. William agreed and several times spoke of dark forces rising in Europe. Corey and I let them talk, but we thought they were worried over nothing. In the spring of 1938, Germany invaded Austria. Most people knew this was coming and were not particularly upset. Many Austrians thought of themselves as Germans anyway and resented being arbitrarily excluded from their homeland by national borders that were redrawn at the end of the World War by the Allied powers. They turned out in throngs to greet the advancing Germany troops and treated them like liberators instead of conquerors. Reporters on the radio and in the newspapers indicated many outside the region shared their opinion. A broad consensus of Europeans saw the Treaty of Versailles, one of several agreements that concluded the most recent war, as unduly punitive against Germany and the source of Hitler's belligerent stance. Germany's invasion of Austria, so common wisdom went, merely righted some of those historic errors. 
Papa was not convinced and thought it was a big mistake to let Germany take control of its neighbors. If they gobble up their neighbors, he argued, they will soon control us all, and there will be no one left. All of Europe will be German. With Austrian citizens welcoming the invaders, news of the conquest quickly faded. Reports focused instead on the accounts of German benevolence and the gracious manner in which they treated the Austrian citizens. We heard reports from the Polish radio stations telling of the Austrian residents who were forced from their homes and sent to camps. But the German response characterized those who were detained as criminals and political dissidents. There had been rumbling about this sort of thing from Germany in the years before the invasion. Though no one confirmed the rumors, and German officials denied any wrongdoing. We weren't overly concerned about it at that time. Not long after the Germans took control of Austria, Samuel Levy came into the shop. He was accompanied by a man who he never introduced. I heard Samuel talking to Papa and then came down to say hello. He was a good customer and I remembered him fondly. While I greeted him, Papa tried to talk to the other man, but he was very reticent to speak, eventually growing so uncomfortable that he excused himself and stepped outside to the street. When he was gone, Samuel explained, He's my cousin who just arrived from Germany. He's a little nervous. Nervous, Corey asked. About what? He had to get out quickly, Samuel replied. Papa looked puzzled and Samuel glanced over at me. You understand, right? Not really, I shrugged. In Germany, they're sending Jews to the camps, he said, as if telling me about something terrible. Corey's skeptical. The camps? Concentration camps. We've heard reports on the radio, I explained, but we've been unsure exactly what was going on. I assure you, Samuel argued, whatever you heard about this on the radio was all German propaganda. You mean they are intentionally trying to mislead us? Yes, Samuel said with a note of incredulity. Of course. You don't send someone to a death camp and brag about it on the radio. Not to the world. You lie about it, and if you can't lie, you put the best face on. That's what they're doing. Corey looked concerned. Death camps? That is what the concentration camps are, death camps. They either kill their prisoners outright or they work them to death. Everyone knows these things. Have you not heard? Tell us about it, Papa urged. The SS, the most powerful, evil troops, arrive in the night and force. You know this for a fact, Corey interrupted. My own family members have experienced this. I have uncles in a camp at Dachau and cousins at Bratenau. I have heard these things firsthand. Go ahead, Papa urged. You were telling us about the SS. They forced my uncles at gunpoint from their homes, herded them to the center of the town, and gave them a choice. The camps or leave the country. Either way, they would lose everything they owned. Some who were with them argued with the soldiers, and they were shot on the spot. Others refused to make a choice, and they were shot too. When they were gone, Germans took over their houses, their businesses, their possessions. Whatever they liked, they took. Why? Corey asked. Why would they do such a thing? Samuel wiped his eyes with the back of his hand. Because our people are Jews. Is it really all that bad? I didn't think he would lie, but it was difficult to believe that someone, anyone, could be so inhumane. It was difficult to accept. In the camps, I continued, is it really as bad as all that? Those who go to the camps write back that they're having a great time, but no one believes them and some have managed to let us know that the conditions are terrible. 
Well, it must be okay for those left behind, Corey added, hopefully. I mean, they can't gather up everyone, so those who get left behind must be okay. Samuel's gaze fell to the floor. Synagogues burned, he muttered softly. Shops destroyed. Old men humiliated on the street. Beards plucked out. Some of them set on fire. He looked up at us, much of it at the hands of youth, while the adults stand by and laugh. A sense of desperation came over him. I tell you these things because I think you want to understand, because maybe you can help. Many have died. Others have simply vanished. He gestured towards the door. My cousin is one of the blessed ones. He was able to get out. When he was gone, we talked about what he'd said. We had known Samuel Levy for a long time, and he'd been a good customer in the shop. But what he said sounded so surreal, so incredible, so utterly beyond the human context that we still wondered if it was true. Next week will be chapter 22, and we'll find out more about what's happening. I know the, we're getting in some really difficult situations now, and I, and I pray that you can sit down and have some good conversations with your children to help them to understand and, and, uh, and I'll be praying for you as you do that. I love you. I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.